today on the podcast, I'm actually bringing on one of my patients who came to me at such a time of depletion. She'd been caring for her husband for many years who had brain cancer and raising children pretty much solo with no family or friends support. She's a mum of four and she has lost her husband to brain cancer. She's only 35 and which is my age, it just breaks my heart. Haley is such a beautiful, kind soul, such a good mother and such a fighter for her rights, but unfortunately, the battle ends, she lost her husband. So, <clears throat> I've invited Haley on to share her story because she has a lot of people that ask lots of questions and it's just a great place to share it. But by all means, if you feel touched by Haley's story, Haley's now living on the Sunshine Coast, uh, Mama Four, please reach out to her whether it's to catch up with your children and offer some you know support in any way I'm sure she would appreciate it I'm gonna leave her handle on my um, show notes in my show notes and she's on Instagram at Haddis Amore she is a beautiful artist she does she was doing lots of birth photography and beautiful photography before obviously her husband passing anyway I don't want to talk for too long in this introduction because the podcast is long and we're gonna dive straight into it Okay, welcome to the podcast, everyone. Today I am blessed to have Haley Wernicke sharing the story of a love and death with Diego, her husband. And this is actually the second time we've had to record this because something happened the first time. We've got the part two, but anyway, so this is the second time Haley's had to relive and share all this. <laughs> yes. Um, We've had some technical issues, but hopefully this time it's going to work and you only have to do this once. So thank you for showing up and sharing the story. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for, I guess, bringing it alive and giving me a chance to, I guess, get it out as well, because otherwise it's all kind of kind of in. It's just this is the second time round. But Yeah, yeah. Well, so many people, I think, have watched the stories that you've shared yeah. along the way and feel really connected to you and Diego. So yeah. Um, where should we start? Let's start from the very beginning. So what were the things that made you, you know, question what was going on with Diego's health? Okay. Yeah. So I think Diego was, um, working full time as a tattooist and I feel like we just started to notice little things. Like if I look back, this is looking back, you know, pre, um, diagnosis, he would, um, just some like mental health kind of stuff. He was feeling quite flat he was always complaining of a headache, but obviously being that tattoo artist as well, I just, you, we just put it down to the fact of, you know, his eyes giving him a headache and all the things, but it just, it was just continual. So, um, he did go and see a few GPs along the way, um, just about feeling really flat, having no energy and just these crazy headaches that he couldn't explain as mm. to where they're coming from but you know it was you know yes it could be just from your eyes because he was wearing glasses just having you know drawing and all of those things for that many hours um he also got told you know he had tried some antidepressants and some you know so he did actually go down that route a little bit to give it a go and we were really hesitant but he was desperate i guess for for help in the way he was feeling and um, you know, the headaches and all of the things. And, um, you know, doctors would be like, you know, try some yoga, try some, you know, just all these things, just brushing him off basically. Yeah. Not really taking these headaches. Um, seriously. seriously. Yeah. It was getting quite concerning the headaches that he was having too. And I remember at one point he even said, you know, I feel like I need to see a neurologist, but how do I get there? And he'd even brought it up to doctors before, but they kind of just made him, he always come back from his doctor's appointments feeling like he was 
too much or asking for too much or mm. being silly or being over the top, you know, like he was never, and you could see that it would get him down because it, I guess he felt like no one was listening to him. But I just still remember that time when he said, you know, he asked to see a neurologist and they were like, no, you know, try this and try that. And if you come back and, you know, him, he was just like kind of off it and just mm. like sick and tired of it. And he did try some of the um, like antidepressants to see if that helped, but that was giving him like brain zaps and all these weird symptoms and it wasn't helping his situation one bit. So, um, yeah, I guess that's kind of where it, it started to a degree. But um, then comes, I guess, the big seizure, which is kind of what got the whole um, journey rolling, I guess. So I was working as a birth photographer and I was out that night. One night he had the kids. So we had the three kids at that time and Inca was only just under one. So um, I was at, at a birth that night. I'd come home that morning and he was kind of taking our eldest at the time to kindy and he had the other two in the car. And um, I was on my way home. I had spoken to him to let him know and um, he's getting the kids in the car. Anyways, I'm driving home oh, unaware of what I'm about to land into and I pull in our driveway and I see the neighbors out and I see the girls just screaming hysterically and um i see what looked like diego on the floor anyways the neighbors had ran over to me and um in the car so i'd literally stopped midway down the driveway and they just said look we think diego is overdosing and i just like i don't know my brain just got in this protective mode because i was like what do you mean you know like my like he doesn't even drink alcohol Mm. like so I was just I was like no this couldn't be it like as if you know like I was actually quite angry I kind of got out of the car left the doors open ran to him and he was having a seizure and at that point I guess I'd never really seen a seizure up close before but it was quite horrific and at this point had been going I'm assuming I'm guessing maybe up to five minutes like he was just rolling around on the floor there was mosquitoes all over him the girls Mm. were screaming the neighbors were trying to take the kids away because it was quite horrific to watch you know like the frothing at the mouth and it was a lot for me so I can imagine the girls at this point would have been maybe uh, five four and one or just under one so um he went down with Inca in his hands as well so The car was still running as well. So, like, I was just, like, my brain was just, like, what is going on? I'm trying to catch my thoughts. They're saying he's overdosing. I don't even know what is going on. Mm. Why is he having a seizure? And he had, like, a blood coming from his head. So I just automatically thought, hold on, he's fallen, tripped, knocked his head, and that's brought on a seizure. You know, like, that's just my brain was just going there. Not that he'd had a seizure first, you know. And um, so I'm turning the car engine off. The neighbors have kind of calming down the kids and I'm trying to wake Diego up. And at this point, Diego's trying to like stand up at the same time as having like, he's like coming to, I guess, but mm. completely not there. So it was like trying to get him to stay down on the grass so he wasn't going to hurt himself anymore. And at this time, they were already on the phone to the ambulance. So the ambulance are hearing all of this. And I think at this point, they're all thinking he's overdosing. Mm. And I'm like, no. But there was this little tiny part of me that was like, hold on a minute, has my whole life been a lie? Like, surely not. You know, mm. like, there is that little bit of, well, I can't say 100%, like, because mm. I really don't know. Like, if, if, he, if, he, if he had been, it would have been a complete lie to mm. our whole family. But, you know, my gut was like, no, something, you know, something, what's happened? And I just thought he tripped, has, has he tripped and hit his head, knocked his head, you know. But anyways, the ambulance came not too long after that. And... Um, He'd kind of come to a bit then, but really groggy and, you know, could barely stand and was kind of saying some irrational things, like not making sense. And um, I just said, at this point too, in the back of my head, I knew that he was having these headaches. So I was just like, can you please promise me that you're going to check him out? Like, Mm. this is not normal. Because, you know, they were like, I just said, you know, he's not overdosing because he doesn't do anything. 
um, something's happened. We don't know what's come first, you know, blah, blah, blah. And they just assured me that, no, they'd take him in and that they won't just release him and that they will be doing, because he's had this head injury, they will be doing some studies and I'll have time to get it myself, get the kids looked after and get myself in to check on it. And um, they took him and I had someone watch the kids. I took the kids to my mum's actually and she was able to watch them and I met Diego in the hospital. So, um, yeah, I landed in um, emergency and as I got there, they were pretty much discharging him. Mm. <laughs> and um, Diego just looked in shock. He was a lot more there, like a lot more back to kind of, it wasn't himself, but he was definitely there. And um, I was a bit more protective at this point because I was like, what do you mean they're letting you go? You know, what's happened? You know, what what was that? And um, the doctor, they were, they were so packed at this point. And this was like 2019. So this was like pre-everything that's gone in the world. Yeah. So it was, but they were still so busy. Um, and you could tell that they were just like needing beds. And they just kind of said to me, you know, I said, what happened? You know, like, do you think he's fallen and then knocked his head? Like, what's come first? He was definitely having a seizure. And he just said, no, we can't say that he's had a seizure because there was no adult witnesses. Oh. that he had a seizure and I said well I got there at the tail end of it and I witnessed the jerking and the you know the frothing at the mouth and all of that and he's like no there's no adult witnesses I said my kids seen it and they described what they'd seen they're like no we can't and I said okay so have you done any testing like a brain scan anything and they said no there's we just think that he's dehydrated so they ran some bloods um they all came back fine and um they just said you know go home have some water he's probably just fainted my gut was like, no, because I had, you know, all these thoughts of his headaches and everything at this point, I was just like something. And just the fact that he said he wanted to see a neurologist was in the back of my head too. And I was just like, no, something's not right. I didn't allow him to drive. Like I was just like, no, he's not driving to work the next mm. day. We went home anyways, because there was nothing we could do. And I just said, you know, I'm going to book him into my GP, who's just a lovely GP that I've kind of had through like my home births and everything. She's just a beautiful GP. I was like, no, I'm going to take him there and um you know let her know what had happened and see if you know like if they can investigate a little bit further um they were still adamant it wasn't a seizure so they anyway the next morning he woke up and he was really stiff and sore and I was just like exactly he's had a seizure like mm. that's why he's really sore like all of his muscles were sore from all of the you know the um tension and stuff from yeah, the seizure so yeah. I was like just more confirming you know and at this point being a male too he was like I'm gonna go to work I've got clients I was like um you know maybe you can go to work a little bit here and there but I'm driving you too so there was like a few days before I could get in with my GP so like he went to work but I would drive him and I would pick him up and he just wasn't feeling great so he just I think he ended up like cancelling a lot of his clients like there wasn't much work in that mm. period of time so took him to our GP and she was kind of mortified that they hadn't done any scans mm -hmm. so um she's just like look let's just order because she knew his history she'd mm -hmm. known that he'd complained of headaches and you know they'd done the blood test and they'd done like tried the tried the um pharmaceuticals and stuff to try and help that kind of thing and nothing worked so at this point she's kind of clicking on to like something's not right here and um she automatically straight away ordered a ct scan she's like let's just start with this and see where we go mm -hmm. so i think it was like the following day we could get in for the ct so i took him to the ct scan and yeah that night actually she calls me and she just said get diego and i and i did she's like are you sitting can you please sit down this was quite late at night so this would have been because you know mind you we still had the kids amongst mm. this we're doing like drop-offs and had the three little ones at home and um yeah, it would have been like i don't know five six it was dark and she's just like 
um, are you sitting down? And at, by that point, my gut just went and I just remember looking at Diego and she's just like, you actually have a brain tumor in your brain and it's the size of like a tennis ball and we need you to get to hospital. I've pre-organized everything because of the, the history that we just had and the fact that they just kind of let him go. She's like, I've pre-ran through and told them that, you know, to exp- that they're expecting you basically. So you shouldn't have any dramas, but pack a bag, pack a hospital bag get in there as soon as you can and we just kind of got off the phone to her she's like you know I'm sorry and are you okay and you know she was amazing she called through and everything but then I, we got off the phone and I just remember looking at Diego and I don't even think many words were said except it was almost like we could look at each other and like our hearts broke in that moment and also like I knew it mm. like oh my god this is it you were right like mm. I can't believe this is happening right now but I kind of can mm. because of the situation but yeah so I think that was really hard but at the same time I think we were trying to be strong That's so we nice. were just like overwhelmed yeah. like I think I just adrenaline was running through my body and I don't know how he was feeling and I was always really cautious of like how would that be receiving that news but also like I knew it you mm. know like he's like I was right so um, we didn't really know what to think, you know, how bad it was. All of the things were running through our head. But the main thing was, like, calling my mum because that's all we really had around to try and get the three kids looked after so that I, um, I could take him into the hospital. So we kind of got that organised as soon as we could, packed a bag, and off to the hospital we went at night. But they were great. They kind of knew we were coming, so we went straight to ward. But then, you know, you kind of sit in the ward and you kind of just been told over the phone you have a brain tumor but you kind of no one's giving you any information Mm. so it was very scary and like in our head we're like well this is huge but where is everybody like Mm. what's going on and you'd get like register come in and you know be like do you understand why you're here we found this and you know like they'll they talk in their terms and you kind of these names have really weird names and I guess you know nothing had been biopsied at this point and proper Mm. MRI at this point so they're kind of like it's looking like xyz yeah so it's just like all of this it could be should be we don't really know but um, this is what we're thinking, but we're going to need to do a biopsy. Um, and at this point, I think from the CT scan, no, this would have been, yeah, from the MRI first. So it was like, you know, we need to get you in for an MRI. So I think that night they MRI'd mm-hmm. and then came back and just said, we're going to have to biopsy. Um, you've got kind of what looks like almost two different tumors, like two different grades of tumors with, like that's showing from the MRI. And they were just concerned that they couldn't get to the back to biopsy that one that looks um that's kind of the contrast is a lot stronger so that's really the one they need to get but they couldn't really get there safely so they were kind of toing and froing for a couple of days it was kind of like you're going in on this day to have a biopsy no you're not this is safe no we're actually just going to go straight in and debulk while mm. rather than going and biopsy and then go in again and debulk we're just going to go in and debulk and biopsy at the same time so this is just all kind of getting thrown around. No one sits you down and says, this is what's happening. Like there's no comfort and there's, you just kind of feel like you're winging it, I guess, yeah. but it's all so new and confronting at this stage. It's just really overwhelming. And, you know, then we also had the girls at home as yeah. well. So it's like, you know, juggling the kids, Inca was still breastfeeding. So she was, yeah, she would have just been just on 12 months and yeah, quite confronting um, at that stage. But, um, yeah, so it was just like a waiting game at that point and just a whole lot of unknown. I think people will assume – and, you know, then everyone else also, like, is like, what's going on? What's happening? And it's like, well, I don't actually have answers for you because they're not giving me answers. No one's sitting you down and being – treating you like a human, but you kind of don't really know what to expect. And um, long story short, it was about a week 
um, between that and him being in hospital waiting to have, they finally said they were just going to start off with debulking and biopsying at the same time, but they don't think that they can get what looks like the worst out. Mm-hmm. Um, and in so that basically brain surgery. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And at that point, even then I, I knew that was big cause we all kind of know that's big, right? Yeah. You're just kind of like, well, they're going to operate on his brain. Is he going to live? Is he going to make it? What's the risks? And no one sits you down and tells you anything. Mm. Like you kind of get a, a register come in and go, here's a piece of paper. This is what can go wrong. And nearly everything these days says, you know, there's a chance of death. There's a chance mm. of this. But I remember going, what is a craniotomy? It's a craniotomy. craniotomy yeah. Like, what is that? You know, they talk to you in all these like fancy words, but I'm like, can someone sit down and tell me how long is surgery? Mm. Roughly, roughly. Like, what is the um, downside to it? Like, what's going to be, you know, the recovery for this? You know, all of the questions you kind of have in your head, you don't get answered. It's just kind of like sign here. This is what can happen. Obviously, there's death. Obviously, there's bleeds. Um, this is what we're aiming for. Sign here. And if you want to ask questions, you just got to register. That's like, I'll be back in a minute or I'll try and get the doctor to come in or I'll try and mm. get the surgery. Like, it's just a roundabout, mm. you know? And um, I just remember that, just feeling really overwhelmed, but also feeling like I don't want to be a pain asking. Mm. Or, like, you just feel so awkward. And mm. Diego's definitely not one that was very confronting or anything either. He kind of just went with the flow too. So it was kind of, it was an awkward stage. But at the same time, we were like, well, it kind of makes sense that they have to get this thing out. Like, what's yeah. your other option? Yeah. So let's just do this. And in in between that time, he he um I think they were giving him fluids or something in his in his arm, and he ended up getting a reaction to that, and it kind of yeah it got really really infected, and you know started to get really hot and temperatures, and then they thought that he'd got an infection of some sort in between, so they were really concerned. I know like infectious diseases came in, but it turned out he had a reaction to some drug that had put in his arm. I think it was like they were starting him on like anti-seizure meds. Okay, yeah. Um, and like looking back now, I, I'm well aware now of the side effects of anti-seizure meds, but back then I had no idea. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was reacting to something, and that was just another thing that they weren't listening to, but um, that caused him a lot of pain. And, um, yeah, just a lot of drama in between this surgery wait, but that got sorted and he went in for surgery. Still the same thing on the day of his surgery to come around even the night before his surgery we still hadn't been sat down because I kept thinking someone's going to come in and chat mm. to me someone's going to come in and sit us down you know and at this time like I'm coming in chilling with him getting him healthy food bringing the kids in to visit and all this week wait mm. but no like each day no one was coming it was just like no one came around and the nurses were quite short and quite rude at this point and I just remember being really quite petrified and wanting to know you know is surgery happening tomorrow? Like, is because it was still kind of like maybe should be like there was never a definite. And you know, Thursday night rolls around and it's like I don't know. I think it was like ten o'clock and I'm just still thinking someone's going to come and talk to me. Like he's having surgery tomorrow at this stage and you know I wanted to know when can I come see him before or can I see him after? What's going to happen? Like who's going to call me? Like what, what is the procedure like? You know, this is brain surgery and the kids as well. You know and yeah no one would say anything to me and so then it was time for me to head and I went out to the nurses and I just said you know is he having surgery tomorrow and they're like oh well you know it was very oh we think so he should be and I'm like do you have a rough time do you know roughly how long this surgery is going to take is someone going to call me um oh well he should be up first up in the morning really early you know it's like six o'clock they get them prepped and out um he should be one of the first ones up yes someone will call you Mm -hmm. And that was so short with me that I was just like, I think I just cried on the spot. Mm. Like I was just like, my nervous system at this point was just like, 
I don't even know what's happening tomorrow. Like, I don't know what this entails. I don't know how they're doing it. I don't know, you know, like, are they, are they going to call me at this point? I just remember being really upset. And um, they said, you, I said, can I come in in the morning and see him? And they were like, yeah, just come around six. Um, you know, someone will let you in. Like, it was just very, like, very rude. Like, I was being annoying. Mm. And um, I left and I was coming back the next morning. So I had a friend come with me and um, someone said at this point, you know, you can evoke like a Ryan's rule or something to try and get them to answer your questions because he's going in for brain surgery. And um, we did try that morning to have like some form of conversation. But yeah, nothing really happened. They just kind of took him, got him dressed and just said, you know, we will call you. And they took my number as a second, like, you know, took it again to make sure they had the right number. And that was it. They took him. And I just remember, you know, being horrified because it was like the first one and you know now I look back I'm like I knew nothing but you know like (laughs) it's it was huge um so yeah the wait was a quite quite daunting and um yeah and then they called me and said that he was out no actually they didn't I remember I was calling and um yeah he still wasn't out and then I think I left a message and someone did call me but it was like a fair while after he had come out but he was still in ICU so there was like a little bit of you know miscommunication there but I just kind of obviously headed up straight away and went into ICU and at that point I didn't know what I was going to walk into um but I just hoped that he would know who I was and that he would be normal and because they didn't really say what could go wrong I think the only thing they said is like you know paralyzed down one side you just kind of like almost googling stuff yourself because you just kind of like what what can happen and um yeah my biggest fear was just like please remember who I am Mm. and um he was really groggy but he was he kind of reached out you know and held my hand so that was like a really good moment to know that he was still there but you know cords and bare head bandages and it was quite horrific but I just kind of sat there with him and he was in ICU I think for two days and then back on the ward and I was actually shocked at how quickly they actually like for me I was like whoa brain surgery but um yeah it was quite it was quite quick I guess recovery than I than I was expecting at that time um they get them up and you know try to make sure they can walk and use the toilet quite quickly after something like that so um yeah that was our experience with the first one and then we just had to wait you know like I didn't get no one come in and told me how it went you know what goes on from here even now we're still not even knowing is it because at this point it was like you know you have all different grades yeah so how cancerous is this this is benign like yeah yeah. I'm just like you have so many thoughts running through your head like you know and everyone's also wanting answers like he has family in Argentina and then I didn't have that much family here but I had my mom and everyone's like you know what's happening and I'm like I don't even know what's happening I'm just winging this and yeah so now you've got about a two-week wait for biopsies of to come you know to come back and tell you exactly what is going on in there but um one of the registers come out and just said that you know they debulked they got as much as they could. They couldn't get everything because it's not safe, which is kind of like you hear that from everybody now when it comes to brain surgery. But um, they biopsied, but they also couldn't get to the back to biopsy that either because it wasn't safe. Um, so, yeah, it was just a, it was a two-week wait. So I think we were in a hospital only for about four days. Hmm. And no one really come around. You're just still a waiting game, even though he's just had brain surgery. It's kind of quite crazy. And, you know, we didn't get like a social worker or, you know, like nothing like that. And um, I didn't really know what you what you're like entitled to or what you should have at this point. But you know your whole world's just been blown up. You've got brain tumor. We don't know if it's cancerous. He's not working. 
your whole life just kind of gets flipped in that moment of like, what now? Where, what do we do? But let's just take it slow. And we were also in the middle of a move when this happened. So we were moving house on the day of his surgery. This was all pre-planned to his seizure. So I had a whole bunch of girlfriends moving the house while he was having that surgery. So there was just so much up in the air because we'd got a new rental that was like a bigger house with bigger land. And you know, obviously that comes with more money, but then he's just been diagnosed. So I landed back in that house on the surgery night, the new house. And, you know, all, this, all the boxes are there. And um, I just realized it wasn't suitable for him to come home with um, It was like a private rental and it just a lot of promises that were promised weren't followed through. And um you know, I soon realized that it wasn't um, clean or healthy enough for him to come back and heal in. Mm. So I was like, we need another house and we need it now. And, you know, he's in, like, if we've got a week that he's going to be in there and I need to find a new rental. So I was juggling, looking at rentals, finding a rental, the kids and him being in healing. And I found a rental. Um, there was a, there's a period where we, I think we had to stay at my mom's unit. She has a one bedroom unit for, I think, two nights until we could land in the new rental that we got. Um, that was a lot newer and cleaner for him to kind of heal heal in so that was a kind of a just timing like mm. the timing was just it was just off but um anyways yeah and we were just waiting for the diagnosis so we got a phone call um to say that it was a grade three um oleodendroglioma and that what they think is at the back is even a higher grade but um they can't they can't know for sure, but they're just going to go off the MRIs and just keep an eye on the um, on the site with the MRIs every. I think at that point, my memory is really bad, but it might have been like every twelve weeks or something like that. They MRI um, just to keep an eye on what's left behind, and then that we had to come in in a couple of weeks, and we will have to see the oncologist. And um, obviously, all these words at that point are like oncologist. Okay, he's got cancer. Like no one ever sits down with you and just says this is what's happening you just get mm. random phone calls from registers and you know you get oleodendroglioma okay what is that mm. like is this a really bad one is this not like just I remember having no idea and um yeah and the grading of it all but basically they just said you know you'll get a phone call soon from this suite which will be the oncologist and then you'll get you know radiation was thrown out there and chemo was thrown out there but nothing was ever said so they're like just wait for your phone calls kind of thing and at this point you know I'm juicing for him every day we've changed the diet already I'm getting organic food so I've already start the ball of like just doing what naturally I could do at the time which was just all I thought was like getting him healthy food um juices and you know yeah. researching <laughs> yeah. yeah like that's all you can really um really doing that time and and not try not to stress too much because you know your world's just been flipped and at this point you know you're still going to be paying your rent and he's not working and you know you've got that whole side of like I can't just jump into a job like Mm. it it was really and we didn't have that family you know I had my mum who helped as much as she could at the time but she was working full-time as well and you know she had her bills to pay and then yeah all of Diego's family were in Argentina so it was a really hard period of time and I think a few people did organize like a GoFundMe at that time to just help help a little bit with like um funds and treatments and rent at that Mm, point because it was just so sudden um yeah and I guess we just waited for those phone calls and going into the hospital to have those meetings and them just be so so blasé, like you're still kind of just trying to rationalise what is going on. You know, next minute you're in an oncology ward and I'm like, okay, like 
Is this the oncologist we love so much? Yeah, yeah exactly. Like, it's just, yeah. they're just so cold and, yeah, like, it just feels so like you're a number. It's it's insane when I look back and little did I know it was going to get so much worse than that. But, um, yeah, so basically they just discussed, you know, we think that you should do um, radiation and chemotherapy and, um, you know, that's going to give you the best shot. You probably have anywhere between three and five years. Um, this is with radiation and chemo. So if you don't do that, we can't really tell you a time frame. And that's kind of how they talk to you. Like, it's just so blasé. It's like, and um, I just remember thinking, like, before this, we always spoke about, I don't know, we always looked at, like, natural health and our own ideas around chemotherapy. If, if any of us was to get cancer, and we always were like, we would never do chemo. Mm. You know, like, we just had it in our brain. And I think when something like that happens and you have kids, you, you, you do kind of second guess, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? Like, you know, but yeah. they wanted to start with radiation first and, um, and the chemo kind of changed a little bit. It went from like PCV, I think it is, which is like, you know, being injected mm-hmm. where you go in. Oh, then there was also a new one, TMZ, I think it is, which is like more oh. like a tablet. Yeah. So like those things were getting thrown around. So obviously the injection is a lot stronger and it has a lot more side effects as they were trying to tell us that the TMZ, the oral one, had a lot less side effects, but it also doesn't have as much studies behind it with his type of cancer as well. And, you know, they couldn't really give us twos and fro's. So we started, it took us a while to agree, but he did do radiation. So it was every day for, gosh, I can't even remember. Weeks. Yeah, like weeks. weeks yeah. Um, I just remember going there every single day, every, every morning with the kids as well. Like I had no one to watch them. So we always went in with the kids so yeah, he would go in um, for radiation, and that um, that was quite scary because we just didn't really know what to expect either, you know, because it was like kind of going against our gut too. Because obviously with radiation, like there, I must admit, the radiation um, oncologist was probably the first person we spoke to that kind of would sit down and have a conversation with us, and kind of I'll, I remember even asking him questions about the cancer, like because I was like, oh, someone's actually speaking to us because it's almost like the radiation is like a different. Um, I don't know, like a different business structure within the mm. hospital. Have you been in there? Like the That's Ion Centre? Oh, Icon? Is. Yeah, Icon. Yeah. Uh, no, we didn't go to Icon. We went yeah. Out so, yeah. like, it's like a whole different, like, yeah. section within the hospital. So, like, yeah. almost like they do private as well. So, they yeah. just, like, treated you. We had a very bad experience at Icon. Yeah. Well, like, obviously <laughs> it wasn't amazing either. Yeah. But for what we were going through, it was like, oh, someone's actually just yeah. speaking to me. But yeah. I still, it was still cold and I was still quite rude. But yeah. at that point it was you know i had a little bit so they did tell you that you know yeah. with radiation you are going to kill some good um cells of the brain because they can't target it that perfectly and especially like the size of his it's like a lot bigger area like we're talking a huge mass mm. of yeah. his so it was covering like they were almost like should we do it should we not do it you know like yeah. so it was a bit scary but they just made you feel like if we don't do in chemo we have to do something like we yeah. have the kids so it was just really scary and just going against i guess our gut but he did it so we he kind of smashed it out and he was also doing a lot of um started doing like cbd um oils and thc paste um to support himself through that we were also doing a lot of supplements even though they tell you at the time they like you to not do anything like vitamin c and like all the things you know don't do but we just followed our gut and just wanted to support him inflammation you know all the things with um that come with radiation and to be honest he did really well he did a lot better than they thought he would do because he wasn't vomiting yeah Yeah. like they were like they were kind of prepping us at the end of like this is big like it's a it's a big mass that we're doing and 
but yeah, he kind of almost sailed through it to a degree. He got fatigued yeah. towards the end. He got really red, like his face looked, his head looked horrible, like sunburn, but really intense. And he was definitely fatigued by the end. Like he was falling asleep in the day. Like that was really scary to watch um, because you just don't know what's happening. But he kind of sailed through in comparison. And I just remember after that, we, we went on like a little holiday. It was like, we never went on holidays, but we were like, let's just go like it was like a little farmhouse up in the sunshine coast and it was i think it was only like four days or something but it was just like this little thing that we could do with the kids and um we went there and i just remember at that time also it was the sweetest little cottage with you know a veggie garden and i just remember going i want to live in a place like this like it was my dream little cottage mm. and the chickens and the kids had fun and i remember at this point though diego started to like drop things so he would like pick up a mug and it would just drop on the floor and we were mm. just like why is he dropping like my brain was just like what's going on is this normal <coughs> but I think I um, did a bit of research and I think I was on like some brain tumor groups at this point because it's still also fresh with me and it's just the fact that the swelling from the radiation that is then affecting other parts of his brain so he was like you know he was starting to drop things and like his coordination in his arms were starting to play up and did they do any scans after the radiation i had to wait i can't remember the wait period but there was a wait between radiation and because like that's how they would also test if like the radiation had worked you yeah. know but what i didn't realize is it still keeps working over time so it's not like the minute you stop your radiation you're like that's your progress mm. and that's what it's done it's like it continues to work mm-hmm. so it continues to fry the brain mm. and that's the scary part because symptoms will come one year two years three years down the track from radiation and Mm. no one tells you that yeah and that moment that i realized after radiation that this is a thing and also necrosis i think i don't know how you say it properly but it's basically like dead Dead tissues in the brain which also then causes almost like a tumor like lit up section on Mm. your scans so uh, he um i don't know if it was like eight weeks there's a certain period of time that you have to wait for um to have your first scan after radiation so we went on our little holiday he was dropping things and he was tired and i was really scared inside like i was like you know it's all new to me but um you're not really seeing anybody else in this time the hospital doesn't contact you you're kind of just on your own wing in it you know and um for the best. yeah like life goes on almost but it doesn't yeah. like he can't work i'm not working and we still have the babies and yeah, we go to that scan and there was a significant reduction in the whatever tumor was left there but um obviously not all of it but it did, did reduce and at this point there wasn't much there was not much talk of necrosis so then at that point they were like we're gonna keep scanning him i think it's every three months like every 12 weeks um um so yeah so it was just like go live your life and we're gonna keep scanning you you yep. know but little did i know and i was learning at the time was that having the radiation side effects will keep coming you know and that kind of scared me because i was like if we're already at this point what's he gonna look like in a year's time like you know um but they were like no this is good so then obviously we're kind of living our life to a degree which still kind of diego was quite fatigued to be honest he was quite wiped out like he would be having day naps falling asleep at this time i'm still researching other treatments because he still got cancer at the end of the day Mm. yeah so it was a you know i found a good source of cannabis which that you know all these things take a long time because it's not straightforward i'm not just going to go get yo blow off the street like your husband's got cancer it's like there's all this conflicting advice and all i knew all i knew was that i think you know brain cancer tends to do well with the cannabis as I could heard really good things. So that was just something that I knew that was relatively easy to access. And I, so between that and um, still researching everything else, I think 
you know, people were throwing around all, all, sorts, all sorts of ideas and therapies and treatments, you know, like the Gerson therapy and things like that. And me and Diego had actually sat down and watched one of those documentaries prior to all of this and, you know, looking at alternatives because we found them quite interesting. And, you know, you hear some beautiful stories. Hmm. But um, I even remember speaking to, like, a Gerson um they had like special therapists all over the world that you yep. can kind of speak to and these people are hard to get into and everything costs a lot of money so what you know you're talking to different naturopaths that are recommended different healers different um people that do different therapies there was so many different therapies for cancer and even just brain is like in a whole different ball game itself yeah so um yeah we got really close to thinking maybe gerson would be you know a good thing to do and because um, obviously it's one of those ones that everyone just kind of thinks they throw at you and I soon learnt, like when you look into Gerson a lot at the bottom, there's like a few cancers that kind of contra- contradict, like you can't, you shouldn't take, and brain cancer was one of them. Mm. And I don't know if it was the high fats. juicing. Yeah, and the, sugar. Yeah, so, you know, keto gets Ketons, thrown around, yeah. and then it's like, do you do it with me? Do you do it without me? So yeah. it's kind of like, my brain is just mush, and I'm doing this with no, like I have no background, and I, you know, like I a few people like I was trying to find a naturopath that you know worked with cancer and then specifically maybe even brain cancer because you know cancer is such a broad spectrum and I think people forget that there's like all of these places and all of these therapies and you know like their auntie might have had a good run or you know their uncle or whatever but we're we're all dealing with different people let alone different cancers and I soon learned quite fast that brain tends to be a little bit different than a lot as well and um yeah so gerson and juicing and all of these things that people were telling me to do was like no don't do it because it's actually could be bad Mm. and um you know you could actually get growth so then it's realizing oh my gosh like there's so much in it that i don't even know where to begin and also financially begin like that started to become really overwhelming because you know you want to do all you can but when you're limited to funds you know you've seen three different naturopaths that are giving you three different recommendations and then you know like testing is thousands you know like Mm. there's a lot of testing that can be done but it all comes at money and so you know the basics that I was doing at this point was the cannabis we were doing like infrared sauna we didn't have one ourselves so we were just going and paying for that um at that time um meditations he was getting on his phone and doing those kinds of things um a lot of downtime obviously no pressure to go back to work because he was healing so it was just we just thought getting the mind in the right place um doing his daily meditations you know time out in the sun eating well still trying to work out what the best thing was to do you know like do we eat meat do we not do we cut out eggs do we you know like it's just it was just a constant almost winging it because i didn't know what was right and even different practitioners would have something different to say Mm. it was just really really confusing and really really hard and then like even you know like overseas clinics were brought up but it was just like we just don't have the money yeah at this point and we were just kind of getting by I guess and paying the rent and you know buying organic and just trying to do the things that we could do basically that didn't really come at a huge cost um so that's kind of where we were for a while there and he was getting regular scans every three months and at this stage they were stable the scans were pretty stable like nothing there was still cancer there but it wasn't growing it wasn't you know nothing was happening so that was kind of quite good um so we were just kind of winging all the other therapies the only thing as i said that he was doing was he was taking really high doses of thc which would kind of wipe him out but also um he found it quite good as well as like sleep and you know pain and healing and all of those kinds of things and definitely helped the whole radiation process and then we had been in this place come up quite quickly like six months in this new place and that's when we realized funds were running tight and we're gonna have to move or we resign a lease here and we just couldn't afford it 
so that's when we started to look at you know trying to find a cheaper rental and eventually it landed us out in Bow Desert <laughs> so it's quite rural it was quite it was quite sweet when I when we you know when we found it because you know going back to our little holiday that we had not that long before that it's kind of like manifesting that beautiful home like it was a sweet little cottage you know white picket fence we could have chickens we could do the veggie garden and it was all the good things that Diego could do as well with his time and mm. as far as healing so it's just us we don't have any family so I didn't feel like we were losing anything by being out that that far at the time and you know rent is a lot cheaper out there so that was our main priority so we basically moved out that way and at this point his scans were still stable um and yeah we decided to move out to Bow Desert and um get settled there and hopefully get the kids settled out there without me realizing just how isolated it was going to become so we did move and also felt pregnant at the same time with folk so obviously not planned um I remember I've, I've gone on like if anyone that follows me I've spoken about it before on how like I had a really big breakdown with Diego's cancer and the fear of being alone and my fear of men and like just you know Diego being my person and how connected we were and just the fact that yeah I was just petrified to be alone and mm. I just remember in a nutshell it was like I had a vision once of speaking to Diego and he handed me a, a baby boy and he was like you're gonna be okay and he died and it was like an, it was like an awake dream and it was so vivid anyways two weeks later I found out I was pregnant and we didn't find out the sex and it wasn't planned and it's kind of like had this even happen um but it did kind of hit me and that that vision kind of hit me as well of like oh my gosh is he dying like is there's a bigger picture to this like you know so we didn't find out the sex and it was quite you know all the all the emotions running through like oh my god we're barely affording life and I'm about to bring another one in so we it was huge so it was very conflicting feelings of pregnancy is always beautiful and another child is amazing and in, in an ideal world without cancer we probably would have had a big family but you know it was kind of like can we afford this can we do this can I do this but we got to do this so yeah so we kind of embraced I guess the pregnancy after a while and you know got into the garden doing the veggies like it just became Diego's therapy so he became really big in gardening and um, that's kind of where we spent every day while still you know doing all the things that we were doing and we thought well we must be doing something right because it's not growing and um, at this point we still hadn't done chemo either um, so so yeah and then you know I would have been maybe like six months pregnant maybe I can't remember the exact time frame but you know next scan rolls around and um yeah then we went in for the results and they were like oh actually like we saw a register because this is another thing you go in for your results you're waiting in the hospital for hours and hours you're a number you know when you go for your results it's never nice they're never friendly sometimes it's by a phone sometimes you're going in there and you're waiting hours and hours to be seen to just be like yep no fine goodbye like you know it's very you know do you have any new symptoms those kinds of things and this one time we were in waiting forever again and we saw a register and he was like had, you could tell that we'd been the last as we seen in the day we'd been waiting for hours and I was just getting so over it because we still had the kids so it was just a lot and um you could tell he was just bringing up Diego's file and he's like nope it's fine like if anything it actually looks like it's shrunk like this is crazy like whatever you're doing is working you know so they stopped the pressure of like chemo and all of the things they're like it's like whatever you're doing just keep doing it kind of thing almost a little bit patronizing but there's a mm. bit of truth behind it so I was like okay this is great we walked out and then two weeks later we get a phone call and he had to go into another um section of the hospital we had no idea what it was and when we got there we sat down it's an oncology ward 
we were like, why? Because we were still seeing the neurosurgeons for like the follow-up of the scans, not the oncology, I guess. So um, the oncologist was the new thing for us. It was a medical oncologist. So we go in, we wait, wait, wait. We go in and we sit down and he's like, starts talking to us like, you know why you're here, right? And we're kind of like looking at each other like, we're really confused why are we here we only just got told two weeks ago that if anything there could be possible shrinkage and he was like oh no you've got the wrong idea you've actually got growth and I was I don't know how far pregnant I was maybe I'm thinking maybe like six months or maybe even longer further along and um Diego was getting a bit more fatigued but like nothing really jumped out at us and Um, he just basically said, no, you're here because we need to talk about chemo because it's grown and at this rate you've got probably less than six months to live. And uh, we've just gone from, if anything, it's got shrinkage to you've now got crazy growth and you should be scared. And um, I was just, I I, I don't even think I cried. I think I was just numb. I was just like, what's actually happening? And I had so much anger because of all of the treatment that we'd had this whole time and just how like, how horrible it is you know like when you're a young family dealing with cancer and no one really sits down and talks to you or treats you okay I was just like this is enough like I've had enough you know and I would go back to my GP and always try and get her to follow up things so she could explain things in the best she could because she was amazing to explain things so she, without her I don't know where I would have been so much earlier on but um yeah so we kind of sitting there and he starts rattling off about chemo and that's really our only option and without it he's not going to live and at this point, we don't even know whether he will live to see the birth of folk. So that was quite confronting. And I just saw Diego felt so defeated and um, chatting about chemo options and, you know, what to do. And they were quite, they just put on a lot of pressure, you know, at this point. They would just say all the big nasty things and all the things that can go ha- go, can go wrong. And, you know, there is a part of me going, okay, but he's quite well at the moment. Mm. And if I'm going to put him under that, like, what, how much longer is he going to get out of, out of it with the chemo and they could never really say and at this point it had changed and I was like well maybe 12 months with chemo maybe six months with that and I was like well are we going to spend our last amount of time sick and all of the side effects like it just doesn't like we're just trying to weigh up our options but at the same time we were shitting ourselves because it's just I'm pregnant <laughs> like it's just like we still have three little kids at home and um it was big so we were like can we just sit on it for a bit because this has just completely taken us we just weren't expecting this this is a big shock and like it's also unfair and how did this even happen how are we given these results and then now we're getting this one and like how is this even happening and so we went home and they're like yep we'll call you you also now that you're on the oncology ward you will get like a a nurse like an oncology nurse so you don't really get to speak to him but you can just call the nurse at any time Mm -hmm. and um so they would call us and kept trying to pressure diego into getting chemo in as soon as possible and I remember Diego just wasn't keen for chemo he's just like I don't want to get sick I don't want to you know all the things and even if with chemo they're still saying that he hasn't got much time so it was just it was really hard and I can't remember exactly what we did here because then we were like what else can we do are we going to fly somewhere into one of these clinics but then brain cancer doesn't have the best reputation with them and we've been following a few people that had done something like Germany and then you know the cancer comes back and they've just got no funds and we're gonna have to you know crowd fundraise so we were like what do we do and then you know Charlie came up as well which is you know a brain surgeon that had been brought up a fair bit but when Diego had his first operation um 
it was just so quick. You just did what you did. Like you're in there doing it. Like you did. I didn't think, oh, I should shop around for surgeons, um, which I wish I had of. But so anyways, Charlie Teo came up and I was like, you know, maybe it's time to actually have a consult with him. You know, like it does sound crazy because also, mind you, I was pregnant, but this is COVID had started. So we were dealing with the hospital. We were dealing with COVID. We were dealing with pregnancy. So I was just like, well, what do we do? You know? Mm. Um, and I think we ha- we ended up, long story short, having a consult with Charlie, phone consult, because he is in Sydney. He operates from Sydney at this point. And um, he basically said, you know, I think I've got a chance to get it out. Um, it is bad. Um, but, yeah, I really do think I can. And, you know, that we chatted fees and, you know, what can go wrong. And he was, like, the first surgeon that I'd spoke to that was, like, treated us like we were human he was just like talking to anybody else there was no like ego there was Mm -hmm. nothing so it was refreshing speaking to him but also obviously very aware that it comes with a big cost and you know covid sydney pregnancy all the things and time so he was like he wasn't opposed to in diego's situation right now to try and chemotherapy because it was also trying to get a second opinion like chemo scared the crap out of us so we were like are we doing the wrong thing or the right thing? Is this going to throw his body? Like, what do we do? So we, he wasn't going to do the intravenous chemo, so we decided to do the TMZ. So I think he did a few rounds of that. By this point, though, he didn't start. We kept pushing it out and pushing it out because they wanted us to start, and the oncologist at the hospital was like, there's no side effects to this stuff. Like, it's fine. It's good. It's, we can have it around the kids. You know, we were co-sleeping. I was breastfeeding. I was pregnant. And chemo is a scary thing. It's quite toxic, right? It's like a category one or whatever they say like it's you, you get given in like this bag that has all the warnings all over it you know you have to wear gloves like yeah you, you know cleaning the toilet all of the things like you know how toxic it is but this oncologist was like no they say all these things you know have you ever read a penadol packet like everything has side effects my gut was like this is not on you know it just doesn't seem right anyways so we diego kept pushing and pushing we kept getting scans and diego kept pushing the chemo back and I think I'm kind of lost in our time waves here because I'm pretty sure there was like growth. Like we had kind of like some growth and then some, you know, non-growth. Because then we started, what we did start before we started chemo was the hyperbaric. Mm-hmm. Um, so we picked up the ball again because we had dropped the ball, mind you. When he got this growth, I guess, you know, time it takes time and maybe you're not as on top of things. So like... There were certain things like organic produce, certain treatments, certain saunas that we kind of maybe had cut down a bit, even taking the cannabis, we're not being as strict. So we're like, all right, let's pull it all back together, do as much as we can. So we were doing, we added hyperbaric. He was doing that three times a week at the beginning. As I don't know if people are aware, but it's very expensive, um, like thousands of dollars. I think at this point I'd probably spent maybe $20,000 just on cannabis. So like it's money's just getting chewed you know to see it to see a therapist or a naturopath you're paying like three four hundred dollars that's without supplements and without testing so like we had chewed through i don't even know hundred thousand dollars like i don't i don't even know like I, sh- I wish i had have kept a track of that but money's flying out the door i'm just like we just have to do what we have to do um we yeah huck barrack picked up the cannabis picked up the diet and just went full steam ahead and kept saying that we will do the chemo but once the baby is born because we don't want to do it now so we had folk diego made it he was i just remember looking back at photos and he was so thin and but it was such a beautiful moment it was the best birth so um so good for the both of us but um yeah in this time he decided to then start the chemo because you know he's getting pressured they would call and they'd be like you really need to get onto this 
So um, he's like, all right, let's do it. No, I just remember like the first night of him taking it, I felt sick. Like we were still on that point of like looking at each other on the couch, like watching a movie or something. And I was just like, don't take it, take it, don't take it. Like we were just like, I bawled my eyes out when he first took the first chemo tablet because it just went against everything we ever thought we would go. Like it's just like, I can't believe we're here, you know, but you're so scared. And you could see that he was sick, you know, like he was so thin. And um, we just weren't sure whether we could get the money together for Charlie Tio. So it was, I think it was about 150,000 or 130,000 that we had to raise to get the surgery with him. So, um, yeah, long story short, tried the chemo and it just made him feel crap and he was getting really bad night sweats. And I'd had a newborn baby. I was in the bed with him and I just remember him soaking the bed. And I was like, this intuition, like this just doesn't feel right. I spoke to my GP and I was like, you know, they, they told us that there's absolutely no side effects to this. Um, even down to like making out and bodily fluids, like mm. it's safe, Haley. And I was like, this just doesn't seem right. Like, I don't think it is like, cause we went, he, Diego went and picked up a, a round at the chemist in the hospital and he's like, mentioned it to him that he's got night sweats and you know, how bad is this? And he's like, have they not told you? It's highly, highly toxic. Like, you have to keep it away from all kids, keep it away from your partner, like, sleep in a different bed. And I spoke to my GP and I was just like, oh, my gosh, is this true? Like, I've just had a newborn baby and we've all been sleeping in the same bed. Like, what is going on? And she's like, yeah, no, don't. The oncologist who's prescribing this med still would tell me that it was safe. So we're getting all this conflicting advice, you know. Mind you, it's just adding to the hospital nightmare and my stress of just what is right, what is wrong, what are we doing? But, um, yeah, the pharmacists were just adamant. They were like, do not sleep in it. You have to sleep in your own bed when you're on that. I think it's like a week on, week off. I can't exactly remember how it went when he was taking it. But highly toxic, really, really bad. Um, so that was a big thing. And obviously guilt because you have a baby. And you're like, what damage have I done? Like, what's going on? But anyways, he was just getting really unwell. He didn't like it. He was getting sicker. It, it was awful. So he decided to pull the pin. He's like, I'm not doing this anymore. I can't do it. And um, just fully picked up, yeah, still doing the hyperbaric, doing all the things. So we would drive three times a week onto the Gold Coast, which would take an hour each way. So we were probably gone, I don't know, like all around five hours, three days a week with the kids. Mm. So they weren't going to school. There was like, I couldn't get them to school. I didn't have anyone to pick them up. I didn't have anyone to drop them off. There was no one out there that I knew that would do that. Um, so yeah, it was like we, I feel like the kids kind of grew up in the car. I mean they were good in the car I guess they had to be because we just lived in the car we just lived for him like getting him his treatments and getting him what he needed and he would go in for two hours of hyperbaric and we would just wait in the car or go to the park depending on the weather and you know I still had to wing three kids and a newborn baby at this time so it was it was a lot and I just felt isolated because by this point friends had dropped off we'd been living in Bow Desert in our bubble because I was in a bubble and maybe I wasn't putting in my effort but I was trying to save my husband's life with four babies and mm. I feel like your friendships just fall apart um yeah that was that was really really hard I think and took a, a massive toll but mind you in all of this we decided to crowdfund and get this money for Charlie and keep doing all the things he was doing once he got off the chemo he he almost picked up a little bit and just kept doing all of those things that we could afford, raising funds at this point, made an appointment, a booking with Charlie um, to have surgery done. And, you know, as we were getting closer to the target, and you know, the community, the online community, like you have this love-hate relationship with social media, like 
you know, there's all the bad, but they're what got me through mm. in such a such a big way, like emotionally, mentally, financially. Strangers, you know, like if you can't rely on friends, you have no family. These people become like your support people on the back. Like it's just, I can't even believe how how big of a support they were. And I think they just, it was just so much more than I, you know, I got on at night and I didn't have anyone to talk to. So like I would, people would message me and check in and be like, how are you? You know, mm. and then it started to go and spread to raise this money and still doing all of the things. And it's, Diego had, we had, we got really close. And then also we had a scan and Diego went for the scan, got the results back and there was shrinkage. And this, we went into the oncologist to get the results at this point and he was shocked. He was just like, I don't know how that happened. Cause obviously he didn't believe in hyperbaric. He mm. didn't believe in all of the things we were doing. He thought we were crazy people. And we kept it really like, we didn't talk about what we were doing. We didn't boast. There was no ego. We were so quiet in there and polite, but you know, they just make you feel like an idiot. And um, he's like, you know what? I have to give you credit. Like this, sh- it shrunk, but we'd already been booked Charlie. We were only like, I think like weeks out from Charlie's surgery. Um, and yeah, it wasn't gone, but it, that's still something which goes to show something we were doing was working, but we didn't yeah. know what, and you know what? We couldn't hold on to that forever. Cause there was a moment of like, do we cancel this? But we couldn't have afforded doing what we were doing for much longer. Mm. You know, like hyperbaric, I think from memory, it's about 150 an hour. He was doing six hours a week. Mm. You know, that's just that. And that's a cheap rate. Exactly. Well, exactly. Mm. Like I was, You're at this point, up. we were getting very looked after. Yeah. That was their way of contributing to us as a family, you know, when the GoFundMe was going around. So beautiful people, that was their way of helping us out. But so I think standard's about 250 an hour. So it's, it's really hard for people to access, like to be able to get this kind of stuff. You know, we're still a family. I don't even know how we're paying rent at this point. Like it's it's a lot but we knew something we were doing was helping you know and you hear these stories but you just can't go on like that forever mm. so we're like well, we have to go to charlie covid's going on it was a big deal to get down there get someone to watch the two big kids i was going to take folk who were, by this point he would have been close to six months i think he was not even crawling and i had inca who was two maybe so they were still really little and i was just i didn't even think about how how scary it was to get on a plane with him to go down and have surgery and we just booked this little like hotel in Sydney across from the um hospital but you know we didn't know whether we were going to get in like on the day like with the whole COVID restrictions that they had going on and then like then you got to land and get in and it's just this huge process and also that you know people that followed would have remembered that they upped the hospital not Charlie the hospital upped the fees by like 30,000 two days before the surgery they wanted another 30 grand it was just like so many things that could go wrong could go wrong you know but it all surgery happened we got there but when once we had got there i'd I'd landed there and you know he was going in and um i remember walking him in on that morning i woke up at 5 30 but the kids couldn't go in because it was COVID, so it was like lockdown and i didn't realize that they wouldn't let babies in even though i'm breastfeeding and um yeah they wouldn't so i was like calling However, like people on social media were like calling other people, like trying to find a nanny. And I'm in a hotel room, tiny little one bedroom. Like there's not, it's just like a bedroom and a toilet. There's mm-hmm. not even a kitchen. And um, I just was trying to find a nanny and I got a hold of one nanny and I was like, you're going to have to sleep here the night, be here. Like, so I paid her to sleep above us, you know, like I booked her a unit above us in the hotel and um, 
She said, I need you here because I don't know when I'm going to need you. Mm. Am I going to need you for three hours, two hours, one hour? If something goes wrong, then what? But I'm leaving my babies with someone I don't even know to go and, you know, like, he needs me, they need me. I was still breastfeeding. He was under six months old. Wow. <laughs> it was just horrific. And I just, this lady turned out to be so beautiful, like a beautiful nanny. And also on top of that, someone from social media through somebody else lent me her car. So she wasn't far. She was in Bondi. She's like, come pick up the car and car seats. You can have it for as long as you need it. Um, so like the power of social media and the power of like, I hadn't witnessed kindness like that. Like when I felt like I just lost all my friends, it was like strangers always stepped mm-hmm. in, you know, like I didn't have family. Like no one was calling me going, are you okay? Like I didn't have family going, is she okay? Like mm-hmm. my mum had my kids and she struggles with them. So she had the two girls back home. It just was a mess and it just felt so isolating but at the same time you just join it you know and um I just remember that morning the morning of the surgery because I think there was only one day between landing and him having surgery and I just remembered this is a big surgery you know this is a surgery that they wouldn't touch they were like we cannot operate when they offered that chemo that was like there's no what chance we're operating because it's just way too dangerous and um you know obviously Charlie's background everyone's like you know it's, he takes risks and this is big and you know he was honest with you know the things that could go wrong um you know um being paralyzed you know all of the things that can go wrong with brain surgery um so that morning I remember waking up and folk was little and it's gonna make me emotional but I, I still have on video I just remember like he was so good with the kids like so hands-on and so like if anyone knew him he was just so affectionate like he was affectionate with me he was affectionate with the kids he would just like tickle their faces and their hands and his bond that he had with Inca was just like I've spoken about it so much on my page but like it's just a bond that I just can't even explain you know like she was born like she knew that he had it like she held his head after she was born and never let go you know like she was medicine for him and I just have this little video that I captured that morning at like five o'clock in the morning and it's just him tickling folk and folk like you know when they're little and they just kind of like make the little noises but you know they're trying to like interrupt and it's like the sweetest video but little did I know that like like that was him you know like he was going in for surgery that morning and he wouldn't come back the same like it's the last snippet I have of his essence you know and I just think I wasn't prepared I was prepared for him to come out and not be able to walk I was prepared for him to be a vegetable I was prepared for him to be blind but I wasn't prepared for him not to be there you know like just I just had no idea what was coming but I, I, got, I also knew to savour it. Like, I took a photo of, of him and I took the video of him and Folk and then I just left Folk and Inca with this lady and left to take Diego in to check him into surgery. So same thing, you know, you go in, COVID, so they make everything a nightmare and I say goodbye to him and as he waits for the surgery and I, there was also, like, I felt comfortable in that hospital in the sense that it was Charlie compared to, like, what I had experienced. And I don't know if it's the private versus public either, you know, but, like... It just felt better. And, um, you know, they'll call me when he's out. So that was a long wait. I went back to the babies. And um, the nanny was there and, you know, just chatting to her. And I think she went and had to sleep. And I just remember walking around with Inca and Folk. Like, I was wearing Folk. And 
I was just in the middle of Sydney, not knowing where the hell I was. Just no one to call, no one. Like, it was just awful. Got the phone call that he's okay and that I can come up into, you know, ICU. So the same thing again. And I go in and he's there and this time around he's just not as responsive. Like, he's just... But, you know, I just thought this is a huge surgery. You still don't get told at this point. You know, I don't get to see Charlie. So you still don't really know. You're like, kind of like, so what's happened? How is he? You know, you, you want to know all you these things. Yeah. But you can't. So it's kind of like, well, we don't really have this information. The doctors will do their rounds. But you kind of got a wing being there when the doctors. It's just like this constant stress and weight. And Diego just wasn't the same this time. Like, he just, he was really fidgety. He was just, just looking at him just wasn't the same. But I don't think I got hurt at that point. Because I was just like, oh, he's just come out of surgery. Like, mm don't have any expectations here you know and so I left and I had to leave go breastfeed come back and I think Charlie came around to do the rounds to check on him and you know at this point it's still really fresh so he's just like Diego blah 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 he kind of told me that it went well that he got everything and that you know everything went to plan and um so you know obviously I'm super grateful for that but yeah I was just more concerned of Diego and I think he'd spent, and then I couldn't really stay that long because it was COVID and it was Sydney and I had to breastfeed the babies and they weren't allowed in. So I kept coming back and forth and all I wanted to do was just lay with him. Every time he had surgery, I just wanted to be there. Like no one was there, you know, but I couldn't be because I had the babies as well. And he went back to the ward. I think this might have been late in the afternoon by this point, you know, so I had to go home and sleep and it's just awful to leave him there. And then in the morning he was back on the ward already. And I went in and... He's on, he's watching like, and I used to say, it's like that airplane jelly, you know, the, the video. And it's like this kid cartoon, airplane cartoon. And I walk in and he's awake. He's watching this and he doesn't even look at me and my heart sinks. And I'm like trying to talk to him, like, how are you feeling? And he's just kind of like really vague, but not making eye contact with me. And I am, um, I'm trying to get anything out of him that I could without bursting into tears. You know, he's not asking about income, mm. you know, like income misses you. He's just like just like non-responsive like numb and um yeah and then he picks up his phone and he starts to go onto instagram and he goes onto my page my instagram and he starts like flicking through my instagram and zooming into photos of my face on instagram and i'm like that's like red flags i'm like what is he doing like he's not even a big social media person mm. and i'm like and not only that he's on my page mm. looking at zooming into photos of me and the kids and at that point i just I knew something wasn't right. I'm just like, he's not here, you know? And, like, his essence wasn't there. And then in comes Charlie in a register, and he's lovely. He's, like, cracking jokes. Like, hey, Diego. Like, he's just a beautiful human. And he goes, how are you, Haley?" And I just crumble. I'm just like, he's not talking to me. He's just, he won't even look at me. And he's like, I'm like, he's on Instagram looking at photos of my face. And he's like, what's wrong with you, Diego? This is your beautiful wife. Look at your beautiful wife. Turn to your beautiful wife. Tell her you love her. And he like looked at me just dead like in mm. the in the eyes and i was just like a mess i was crying and he's like come on diego like look outside what's the weather outside and diego's like sunny like really short mm. and he's like what's the date today diego you know like and you could see that things just he just looked confused he looked like a kid you know yeah and at that point i was just like oh my gosh and he's just like oh you know this can happen and then he tried to tell me that you know this you know, with the surgery, it affects, like, the left and the right side and all of these things, and this can happen, but generally, like, the brain can re rewire and he can get better. Like, yeah. this isn't going to be necessarily a long-term thing. 
like empathy, like apathy, like his empathy was gone. Yeah. And um, he's like, how do you, by this point, he'd been in there not even 24 hours. He's like, do you want to get out? Let's get you out of the hospital. And I was just like, okay, like, all right, this is crazy. Get him out and go back to the hotel room within 24 hours of having brain surgery. So then I'm landing, because he's like, you know, it's better to be out than in the hospital to heal. And I was happy, but also when I got back to the hospital, I was like, he's not talking back to the hotel. He's not talking to me. I've got a baby and a toddler, a nanny there. All they're giving me is Panadol and a phone number and some stuff to remove stitches later on in his head and we were meant to fly out like in a couple of days back home and obviously the COVID thing I, meanwhile I'm still trying to navigate letting them not making us quarantine because at this point we were going to have to quarantine for two weeks oh yeah and so I was still battling the the Queensland health at this point so I had Diego I had the kids and I was trying to I was on the phone to them going come on this is our situation he's had brain surgery he can't quarantine in a little room he needs to be at home that's where he's going to heal we're having complications like just let us home please no 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 they wouldn't so long story short i had booked an airbnb which is going to cost me twelve thousand dollars for two weeks in kingscliff which is right on the border so that the girls could come over the border and stay with us because we've been away from the girls as well and it just none of it made sense but um in that time they also charlie also offered um of course i'm having a mental blank of what it was called um, but it's like a therapy to the brain, like the um, TMZ. What's it called? Oh, I know what you're talking about. Um, yeah, I'm just having a real mental. It's like a tense machine. On the yeah, brain. yeah, yeah, like yeah, a yeah. tense machine. If you visualize it like yeah. that, like a tense machine on the brain, has really good results with yeah. like rewiring, refiring networks of the brain. That was the idea, basically, because he had become the way he had become, like lack of empathy and you know quite numb and robotic. They were like, if we're stimulating the brain, yeah. Um, so so many sessions of that. So we were like, all right, let's push our tickets back. Let's get this done while we're here in Sydney. And then we're going to go to this Airbnb. So it's a fly from Sydney to the Airbnb. He had that done. Mind you, I still had a friend's car at that point. And then we um, flew back to the, to the Airbnb just to heal, you know. And at this point, we're in the Airbnb and he's still not talking to me, not making conversation, but yet he had to meet the big girls. And I, I could see Inca could feel it. Inca would cry and she would say to me, you know, where's daddy? Why isn't daddy holding me? That was her big thing when he came out of surgery because he's always held her. She was like, daddy won't hold me. Like, he was quite mean. So that was, but she was two. So she, you know, is, it was a little bit easier in some ways. But I was petrified because Luna and Millie were older. And I'm like, they're going to they're gonna see this. Like, mm. how am I even going to get around this? But, you know, it's still the whole, it's fresh. It's a, so you still have hope. You have hope. And, um... Yeah, he was very numb and frustrated and irritated with them and wanted to sleep in a bedroom on his own. He wouldn't want to sleep in bed with me. Mm. And I'm just like, I feel like I had the pressure of everyone paying that amount of money to have surgery, that everyone wanted me to be positive. You know, like no one wanted to hear that I was petrified. No one Mm. wanted to hear that, like, my husband's gone. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's almost like no one cared. It's like we got you over the line and you've got the surgery, good luck, like, it was quite isolating and quite awful and no one could really understand what I was going through, but I had to be positive because we did just spend this much of money and the cancer's gone, right? So we're like, he's cancer-free, Haley. like, there's a positive. And I'm like, yeah, but my husband's gone, like, but I still didn't dwell on it. I just had hope. I was like, he's going to come back. It's just short. 
you know, but um, yeah, he was really short with the kids, couldn't communicate. And we spent a week there, and what do you know, the borders opened. So I booked the two, they opened in a week. So we could go home, but we paid $11,000 to stay here. It's a beautiful Airbnb with a pool. So I was like, well, if he's healing, this is beautiful, let's just stay here. The kids can swim. So they just, if they were there, they were distracted. They were yeah. just lived in the pool. And he just kind of sat to himself and didn't really speak to us. And I removed, I remember removing his stitches. No one told me, it was just like removing his stitches in the Airbnb and... Then we made our way home to heal from that, I guess. So we still upkept, you know, his diet and the cannabis. There's still all the healing things that he needed because he just, not only the cancer, but he also had brain surgery. So we're still doing all of the things that we could afford to keep him healthy. And, you know, each day it was different. It was like, you know, all of a sudden he was like eating the kids' food, you know, speaking to them like crap. Like, you know, you know, most before you would like get your kids' meals ready and um you would eat last you know but he wouldn't he would like i put the food out and he would eat their food and then they would cry and they'd be like dad's eating our food and like the whole environment was just different he didn't step foot in the garden like so i took over the garden and he just because i wanted to like hold on to it and keep it alive for him because it was like his love it wasn't mm. like i was forcing that upon him it was just like i knew how much he loved and lived and breathed in that garden and then he just didn't want a bar of it it was just like, who is this person next to me? Like, I was mortified. And I remember catching up with some girlfriends for the first time after. And even that was a shock because it was like, well, how is it? And I was like, well, if you're going to be honest, you're going to be honest with your friends, right? And I was just like, yeah, the surgery, they got the cancer. As far as we know, that's all taken. Because I was still doing, like, biopsies of what cancer they got out to, you know. Mm. So you're still waiting on some kind of testing and all the things. Because he kind of does a, a, a little bit deeper testing than your general hospital. Yeah. Um so like um, markers of the cancer and all of these things so that came back quite aggressive like he called us and he said it's quite an aggressive cancer like we're lucky we got it out he wouldn't have had time you know all of the things and yes yeah, still covid's going crazy catch up with my friends and you know i was honest i was like you know he's not the same he's gone like he's not there and um they were like well at least you got the surgery and i was just like there was no empathy for me as his wife and care and all the effort that I'd put into the fact that my husband was gone like no one would acknowledge that it was just like it's all about Diego which was fine because of course it's all about Diego but like I'm still a human here in postpartum like still just falling apart that my husband's gone and um he'll be fine like everyone just had hope and everyone just didn't really care you know but as time went on nothing changed he was the same so then he started to see he was seeing a therapist before this and also after surgery so same therapist so like a psychologist and um he was seeing her and little did i know he was also um what's the word perceiving things differently in the home and with me because obviously you know i'm seeing my side which is he's not there but he's obviously interpreting the kids differently like the noise they make now irritates him probably who i am is irritating him like he doesn't know and he would obviously tell the therapist and long story short i got called in one day to the therapist oh you know i would drive him he couldn't drive in all of this time he can't when you had a seizure you're not allowed to drive so you know years of me driving so we drive everything was on the gold coast so it was always an hour away drove in with all the kids and um she wanted to see me and i go in and sit down and she's like how are you and i lost it if anyone actually genuinely said how are you i would break and i was just like this is so hard like and we just had 
me and Diego had just had not even an argument, but I've spoken about this briefly before of where like, you know, when you're in a partnership and like they leave towels all over the floor and it's like wet towels on the bed, you know, they get out of the shower. There's just the mess, right? Yeah. So I had the kids as well and I'm just flustered and I'm trying to get Diego to his appointment. I've got all the kids and I'm like, if this, like, why are you leaving towels around? Like, what am I? Am I a, a, a maid, a slave? Like, come on guys. And like, clearly I shouldn't speak like this. But I'm at my, I'm at my wit's morning. end, you know? Like, and when I speak to people, like, friends, they're like, oh, my God, every mum does that. Every mum yeah. has a moment, it was you know? This and, to, like, we never argued. Yeah. We never raised our voices at each other. We just never did. And we still hadn't been. Yeah. So, like, I'm still the same Haley. The kids are still the same kids. But, obviously, he got into therapy. She called me, asked me how it was. I'm crying mess. I'm watching the kids out the front, realising that he's out there with them and he can't watch them. If they run onto the mm. road... Like she doesn't even, she's not even registering this. And I'm like trying to be aware. And she's like, oh, I just want you to know that you're going to get a phone call that I've had to call child services. And I was just like mortified. I was like, what the hell is going on? Like my world is like, what more could go wrong in my world? I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, well, it's, it's, um, it's abuse. It's verbal abuse. What you're doing with Diego. (laughs) And like, she was serious. Like she was like, it's mental abuse. And I'm like, what has he said? And he's like, oh, you know, um, that you're going to leave him, that, like, because there's towels on the bed and, like, all these things. And I'm just, like, it's funny, almost funny yeah. to laugh now, right? But I was, like, petrified because I was like, oh, my God, no, I'm not leaving. But he's like, no, threatening to leave him. He's going to be, he doesn't want the kids and, like, all this mental abuse. And I was just, like crying and I'm just like I can't believe it and I was almost like so upset and angry at Diego like what is going on and but then I didn't get angry at him because I knew that this I still knew that this wasn't his fault even though the behaviors he was doing were horrendous it's like it's not his fault yeah he's just had a quarter of his like so at this point he'd had his whole right lobe taken out Mm. you know and like there's so much to be grateful for right so She's telling me this. She's like, you know, I booked your appointment for your GP. You have to go see her. And at this point, I'm like, thank God, because she knows me. Yeah. So, like, she's got my back. And then this woman has not even taken a second to get to know me. Ask me how I am. Ask how I'm coping. Just straight up, I'm this mental abuser and that I'm now getting child services to come out. And um, I just listened to her. She's like, you're going to get a phone call, blah, blah, blah. She was so rude to me. And then I walk out and... He's there and, you know, as he comes back, you tell he's a bit concerned and I get in the car and I'm like a mess trying to, you know, the kids are there like asking questions. And um, as I'm walking out, she yells out, not yells, but like quite loud, Diego, if anything happens when you get home, call the police. <gasps> and I just could not believe what was like, I've never raised my voice. Like I've never, I'm, there's not one. I'm actually triggered by violence and by noise. So, like, I was just like, what is... And that's when it clicked even more. And I was like, mm. he's not perceiving. Yeah. There's nothing, like, this is way deeper than I thought it ever could be. So, yeah, I go to my GP the next day and I'm a mess. She knows us well. She's like, Haley, like, it's just been a big misunderstanding. I know you. I know Diego. Like, this is a mess and I'm sorry. Like, they're going to call you, but nothing's going to happen. Because, you know, in my head also, I'm like, I co-sleep. The kids sleep with me. Diego sleeps in the bed. Like, can I get in trouble for all of these things? Like, you know, like, when it comes to child services, like, what's going on? But long story short, they called me and they kind of cried with me. And they were like, they couldn't believe it. They were like, you've had no support. You've been given no support. Because at this point now, he has a traumatic, like, a TMI, like a traumatic brain injury. That, TBI. That, um, 
So now we're dealing with not cancer, but we're dealing with a brain injury. So like he has a problem and I've been given no support around what this could look like, what help you can get, like for the kids, for me. So, um, yeah, they came out, a lady came out and she sat at the dining table and she was, she was crying. She was like, I've just come from a house where they are, they've got ice in the house and they can't even take the kids away. And I'm here with you. And this is what's going on. She's like, this is disgusting. Like, they couldn't believe it. And this is a psychologist that had done all of this. And I'm just like, the damage that she's doing to our family. Like, Diego was just was like, I didn't mean this. I didn't. Like, even though he wasn't there, he was like, I wasn't jobbing you in. And I, the poor guy, like, yeah. his brain wasn't ter- interpreting things right. And he's not having support. Mm. Instead, the woman's calling child services. Like, like, we need that, you know? And it's just, yeah, it was, it was a lot. And um, I guess it was just trying to navigate dealing with someone that just wasn't there anymore, you know. Like, it maybe got a little bit better, but he still wouldn't go near the garden, wouldn't do anything. And we're just still doing all of the treatments and all of the therapies and still trying to do a little bit of hyperbaric and things that we could afford just to keep... Obviously, you want to keep cancer away and the healing of it all. And um, he's meant to be having three monthly scans the hospital didn't want to see us anymore because he'd had surgery with Charlie. So, the scan, and obviously COVID was happening, so the scans just went out the window. Really? So he's not getting scanned. I'm calling them like, can we get a scan? He's due for a scan. He's meant to be scanned. No, 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 no. They wouldn't really say why, but they were just like, no. And um, they would just say, I think they would just say they're full or they don't have time. And I'm like, but he's met. And you could just, you could just tell by the way they were treating us. They never said at that moment you've gone to Charlie, but it was like so obvious the way they were doing it. It was almost like gaslighting. It was, it was horrible. And I started to get a bit worried because he'd start to get a little bit tired and fatigued and he was getting really unwell at one stage and it was getting close to Christmas from memory. So it would have been, he had, he had the operation in January and this was like, you know, like the therapist and all of this thing went over for the year, you know, still trying to get him all the help we could get him and trying to get access to NDIS at this point because he had a brain injury and um, and yeah, just trying to get support so that I didn't have to financially pay for all of these things, like speech therapists and yeah. all these things that you have to pay hundreds of thousands of dollars for, you can get NDIS. So we're trying to navigate that that world and being rural just wasn't easy. Mm. Um, so at this point, we still weren't getting support workers, any help with the kids. It's just me juggling the cancer, the whole thing with the kids. And um, so we're getting close to Christmas at this point and he's going downhill. He's starting to sleep again. So obviously my red flags are like, cancer's back. Mm. Like, this isn't right. He's doing the same behaviours as when he had the cancer. Like, something's not right. My gut's just, this isn't good. And um, they wouldn't. I was calling the cancer nurse. I was calling them. They just would not scan him. I'm like, please just scan him. You know, like, scan him. Nope. Um, And then he started to have seizure randomly one night and you know in my head I'm like well the cancer's gone why is he having a seizure like my you, know, you just put the dots together you're like what's going on you know ambulance comes they take him in they didn't scan him they sent him back out again it's COVID so like I couldn't go with him this time I couldn't get I couldn't get yeah, a hold of anybody voice. so it was that was really hard because also remembering that he's not there anymore yeah. so I was like he has no advocate so I tried to get like in as like compassionate grounds as his advocate couldn't and that was really stressful and at that point I think I called Charlie to be like you know he's had a seizure do you know what like so he's like maybe we should just get him back on any seizure meds 
Um, this can happen when, I don't know, when the brain heals from the surgery, it shrinks and, you know, it's hit a nerve or whatever. Yeah. It's almost like an epilepsy type thing. So, like, let's just put him back on on that and um, still try and get these scans done. Like, they won't scan him. So you clearly operated. And then he, a little bit of time went on and he had, he started to get downhill. Like, he just started to not remember things, very dementia-like, falling over, couldn't walk properly. We're all having breakfast and he has a full-blown seizure again. And he couldn't even get up. And, you know, seizures are so... Whenever he had them, they were very violent, very full-on. You never get used to them. The kids never get used to them, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, he had to go get bloods done. So he had, like, a minor, I guess, like a, like a smaller seizure that came to... We needed to get his bloods done. Because, mind you, mind you, in all of this, the GP's trying to fast-track and get things done. Because she's like, I want to try and help. The hospital's yeah, yeah. not helping. And so I got him to the blood test. He fainted there. And I had little ones with me and I think she was mortified she could see something was not right and I was calling the hospital mind you telling them all of his symptoms like the cancer nurse the nurse that you meant to and they were just like blowing him he'll be fine he'll be this he'll be that like it was so obvious at this point that they were not going to see him or Mm. care for him and I was petrified I was like what am I going to do like what do I do is he going to die like what's happening no they just were so nasty to me Anyways, he had another fall and another seizure. I called the ambulance at this point. Still COVID, so, like, the ambulance came. And I think at this... might have been that point we actually thought that one of us had started to contract COVID at this point too. But um, the ambulance came in, took him, and I just said, look, can you please scan him? Because they're just not... They won't... We've had surgery with Charlie, and they're just not... If he comes... And they're like, no, look, if we take him by ambulance, they have to take him in. I'm like, yeah, but they don't have to scan him. So it was like, please, please, can you just get him scanned? And they were really beautiful people. And um, I couldn't get in still because of COVID. And um, I was calling them. Anyways, I get a phone call. And they said that he has a bleed on the brain. And um, like a hematoma or something at this point. I think my GP might have even called me because she's amazing like that. And um, yeah, took him in. They said they're going to operate. So I went in. Um, they were obviously allowed to let me in at that point. I don't really remember looking back, but I walk in and he's laying in bed and he's like half asleep at this point. Like he didn't know who anyone was and I moved his blankets and there was just shit everywhere. And at that point, I think I just was like, I don't even know, like numb, like Am I, wit- like, am I witnessing this right now? Like, what is going on? Like, and I couldn't really, couldn't stir. I was like, Diego, what's wrong? Like, what have you done? And he was just delirious. Like, he mm. was not conscious, you know, at this point. And all I knew that he has a bleed on the brain. Why has he got a bleed on the brain? They All they did was a CT scan. They wouldn't MRI him when he needed an MRI to check for growth. Mm. They were like, no, all we need is a CT scan to perform this surgery. So I went out to the nurse and I just said, look, he's made a mess. Can I get some help? And um, she's like, oh, I'll be in there soon. And she was just really rude to me. So I came in and then I went into the, you know, like you have like a toilet. And I was just, like, I'm talking everywhere. So like they, how long he'd been there like that, I don't know. But um, I started cleaning the bathroom and she came in because I couldn't, we couldn't physically move him to do the sheets. And like, I felt heartbroken for him because I was like, this is the first moment of like, I don't know, like it's degrading. Mm. Like he's, he's a person, you know, and he has no, like, I'm his person to help protect him and I can't even be there to protect him, to stop him having to deal with 
those kinds of things like that was a big fear of him like I remember he was like if I ever start like not being able to go to the toilet on my own or end up in a wheelchair this is when he was normal he was like I don't want to be here you know like Mm. it's just so then when I'm witnessing this happen to him I was just mortified but I just knew that I had to be there and then this you know I'm waiting for the surgeon to come in because still you know you're not told anything the surgeon comes in it's the same surgeon from the beginning and the surgeon that also is very against Charlie so obviously it's like well you're here because of Charlie and I was just like well how that was a year ago Mm. you know how's a brain bleed today because of Charlie and um he's like I don't know why brain bleeds happen because you know in my head I'm like oh do you know why like what causes this like me I'm just like asking so kindly and so curiously like I want to know what the hell's happening he hasn't had a fall he hasn't like what's happening Mm. and he's like I don't know who knows with a surgery like that so reckless who knows what's going on like that's how he would speak to me and then he just goes so he's had a brain bleed we need to do another operation he'll be going in in the morning um sign this consent form and he had a register with him and I I just go okay my first thought was like what kind of surgery Mm. is it the same is it a craniotomy where they like cut the skull open the skull and like is it full he's just had this will be his third brain surgery you know and like what's the recovery like like what are we talking and he goes no it's different and like he would just be really short and I was like okay but how's it different and he's like it's just different but yes we cut the skull open so it's the same surgery Mm. obviously not as long or whatever but he'll have drains coming out he could have drains coming out to drain the bleed um he's like but here sign here and um i went to grab the forms like because he had a register there and then he just picked up the forms and he literally threw them at me so they they landed like on me and all over the floor and he goes get it assigned them and he stormed out and i was just like we were treated like we just robbed the hospital or something like i i just could not understand what was going on and diego couldn't um consent he was out he was like asleep Mm. he was gone and I was like is he even going to survive till tomorrow morning like this is how I was they're just like leaving him and um the register just kind of looks and looked completely awkward I signed the forms and he takes them away and at this point I'm, you know everyone's like you need to get a support worker so I'm like getting trying to find a support worker I'm trying to ask for a support worker and I found one and I'm just crying and I'm like is he going to kill him like at this point I think that's the moment that broke me so this was around Christmas time and I just I remember having to leave because I still had the kids at home breastfeeding all of the things and I was just going to quickly go home, feed, come back. And I called my GP because she gave me her personal number. And I just remember calling her and I just go, he's got a, bra- a brain bleed. They're going to operate tomorrow. He just threw that. Like I told her exactly what he said to me, like word for word at the time because I remembered it. And I said, you know, he threw this at me. And she's just like, oh my gosh, Haley, like, I'm so sorry. I said, they're going to kill him. I'm like, I was adamant in my mm. body that they were actually, that this surgeon was going to kill him. Like, just not have any care for him mm. in the surgery. Like, I yeah. was petrified. I was shaking. And she's just like, you can't, Haley. there's people in there, but I understand where you're coming from. Yeah. Like, this is really bad. Like, when this is all over, I will help you. Like, this is not okay. Um, I've witnessed this for far too long. And, um, yeah, I was, I was, like, petrified. I did calm down, obviously. I was just, like, shocked that a surgeon could treat me like I was just I was confused I was like we've been so nice we've never questioned them but you know when they do their rounds like everything just kept getting targeted at Charlie and I was just like I can't believe this is happening right now but if he doesn't have surgery he's gonna die Mm. this was like I just I called the GP was like you know what can happen like can I get all this information and she's like he needs it he's like you can say no because you haven't given consent because he he didn't tell me he wouldn't tell me what could go wrong you know when you give it consent they meant to sit down and go this can go wrong that can go wrong do you still want to do it 
I was like, none of that. He threw the paperwork at me and told me to sign it. And she's like, well, technically you don't have to say yes because you haven't actually consented to the thing. He actually has to get consent from you and that's not consent. But she's like, also, you're biding time. Like, he mm. has a brain bleed. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not one to fight. So I'm like, okay, let's cross our fingers and hope that he doesn't die. And um, had the surgery. It was Christmas. We got out. And then, um, and then yeah, I started to go down the like, I started to get really sick. Like, whether we caught COVID, like, this was December, January. We had New Year's, then January. Mind you, they still hadn't... I'll go back to the fact that they never MRI, like, they never scared him. So, at this point, why did he have a brain bleed? No one knows. No one cares by the sound of it. And I just remember looking at Diego. I'll go back to that. Like, I remember looking at Diego and going, something's not right. And, like, he was in the shower and he had, like, it was almost, like, puffy. But I was, like, is this in my head? Like, down towards, like, his bum. And, like, his bum changed shape. And I was just, like, looking at him going, is it just because he's eating more? Because, obviously, when his personality changed, he could not get enough of food. Like, he couldn't say no to food. Like, he just would eat everyone's food. And, you know, it was crazy. But I just remember looking at him in the shower once and I was, like, it's going to sound really woohoo. But I was, like, the cancer's back and it's down his spine. And I, I tried for so long to get the scans done. And I, I tried to tell them, you know, this is what's happening. And because I think this moment that I'm talking about, like this, the, the spinal stuff was before the bleed. So it was even more reason as to come on, scan him, but they wouldn't. In this, before the brain bleed, the GP did order a CT scan. So she's like, I can do that. That won't cost you. Yeah. Um, that was all come back okay. And um, so she was aware of my, like, I think it's Danny's spine. But um, the brain bleed happened and yeah I just had this feeling and I was you know looking researching and they were like the hospital was saying they were telling me you know Haley, you can't be like there's no possible way his type of cancer cannot go to the spine it just does not happen I'm like yeah it can and it is they're like no 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 and I was you know his symptoms were changing he was getting more tired all of the things had the brain bleed and um this thing came up on one of the brain cancer groups and it was like a PubMed about Diego's cancer the same cancer he had there was two studies where it had gone to the spine and I remember looking at Diego one morning and I'm like look there's a study Diego and he was like he just cried like he and that's another thing that was another new thing that he had since surgery he was very emotional so even though he lost lost his empathy he would cry over the drop of a hat mm. and that was not normal like that wasn't him and he just cried and I was like oh my god I shouldn't have said that to him like it was a moment of like wow so, like, I called the hospital, the cancer nurse again, and I'm like, it does happen. They were like, no, Haley, it doesn't. I'm like, it's on PubMed. Do you want me to send it to you? Can you please scan him? They're like, nope. And um, he just started to get worse and worse, and, like, things were happening, and behaviours were changing, and we got COVID or something. We got a virus come around New Year's time. And, um, yeah, we just automatically assumed it was COVID. You know, the tests weren't out then at that point in time, and it wasn't easy to get tested, and... Did I have it? Did Diego have it? But his symptoms kind of correlated with the virus and, you know, like all of the stress. And I started to go, I, I dealt with whatever virus I had, but then I started to go downhill quite a, quite drastically at this point. And I'm still trying to fight to have him tested, but um, they wouldn't. So um, I'm trying to deal with my own health at this point. So my mum comes and starts staying with us because she lived on the, um, on the Gold Coast and... Um, to try and get him to his appointments and things that he needed because I was getting really bad vertigo and head pressure to the point where I, my balance where I couldn't even stand up and walk so it was months of not being able to walk and you know doing all the phone calls from bed and being really concerned about my health and my heart so then I started to see specialists so 
for my mum, it was taking me and the kids to go see specialists for me and then still trying to do therapies for Diego and trying to juggle the whole NDIS thing and trying to get, you know, all of that on board. And at this point, Diego's going downhill and I'm going downhill and my brain fog is really, like, I've just never experienced the way I felt in my body at that time. Like, it's caused so much almost like PTSD now even thinking about mm. how much and how scary that was but as Diego started to decline I was like I've had enough I'm calling Charlie again in Sydney and I'm gonna pay for a scan like let's just pay do a whole spine MRI and brain um it's probably about a thousand dollars and obviously at this point you'd think oh why didn't you just do this sooner like mm. we just didn't have a thousand dollars like we'd we'd used everything and more that we'd had you mm. know Diego didn't have life insurance so there was no life insurance there was no super um, life insurance on his super so there was nowhere we could draw money from you know like it was it was a big deal and like especially when the hospital had a duty of care so he'd missed like by this point probably four scans you know so long story short Charlie said yes and he ordered a scan from afar it was like private so then we got the scan done up here privately and we got a phone call from Charlie and yes the cancer was back in his brain and all the way down his spine down into the base of his spine kind of where all the nerves go out the back of the spine and it had a name because it kind of goes into like the coating of the brain as well like the lining of the brain and I think that's just like once it gets to that point you just don't have time you know and I knew that spine cancer is a whole different ball game again you know but it was just like that moment of like I, I knew it like I was right and how do I tell Diego this and how like this is it what are we doing like he's deteriorating at this point quite rapidly to the point where he's not being able to walk he doesn't remember things like everything was coming quite fast but at the same time I could barely stand up so like I didn't know how to how to juggle and how to deal with it all and then you still have the kids so you still have you know breakfast lunches and dinners like my mum was there to do grocery shopping and to like take us to appointments but she's not the most maternal and great with the kids so like spending time with the kids wasn't her forte and cooking was not hers so it was still like things that I had to do and get done and for some reason you know I didn't see it one friend out there like it was just that was already come and gone you know so it was quite isolating and I was so unwell and I think I found you at this point um, I can't remember whether I found you before he had his scan with Charlie or after he had his scan with Charlie I'm not I sure I remember you telling me about the results yeah so yeah because I think I found you for me like I found yeah. I reached out to you because I wasn't feeling great yeah. and I was having all of my stuff so you were supporting me with like herbs and acupuncture and testing and my mum was bringing me in for that but it was also that moment of like Diego's not well enough to have the kids and I need help to help him so it was just this really messy time in our lives of him declining and um yeah it's almost like a big blur because my nervous system had I just never realized that the nervous system could attack your body and not your mind like I didn't feel it coming you know like you're just running on adrenaline <laughs> yeah 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 and I just didn't realize it you having know? babies like, breastfeeding exactly and you know like by Crazy. this point you know I've been breastfeeding for like nine years straight <laughs> like it's just but you don't think like I yeah. felt like I, I didn't feel or look exhausted yeah. but you're right like adrenaline obviously does some magic right yeah. like I was just depleted yeah and then until 
yeah it just I didn't see the science coming yeah. you know I wasn't like mum that was like couldn't get out of bed like I was just like my body was like go 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 until I was like dizzy and holding my head and trying to get him seen and it's traumatic like my health was such a traumatic and I guess it just all come at the same time and you know obviously doctors were like when I would go to a doctor they were like well of course you feel this way your husband is dying mm. here's some Valium I was like, no, this is bigger than that. Like, I'm, you know, like, the symptoms that I'm having, it's not anxiety. Like, this is just... Anyways, you were probably the main person that supported me, I think, through all of that. And then, obviously, came... Every time I would come and see you, it was like, how's Diego? And each time, I was like, something more and more. And it was like, we were exploring maybe doing more testing with him and things, remember? Mm -hmm. And then we were like... I think you came to the point where you were like, having those honest conversations, like, should money be spent here? Like we both kind of like same thing you kind of look at mm. each other and you just kind of know like you need to look after you now and I never did that like I never did that financially like I gave every cent that we had to fighting his life that there was nothing left there for me and like who's going to raise the kids like there's mm. there's no one there's not even a, they, like if, if I die or something happens to me they're orphans mm. like that's our life like it sounds so drastic but it is like that there's no backup there's no Mm. aunties and uncles or anyone that's going to come and sweep us up off their feet like they're orphans and now we have no money and I just remember you were the first person that brought that up like should we really be spending a thousand dollars on this like you know I even I think I even spent like a thousand dollars in supplements just before he I was trying to get you with Katrina yeah like mm. it's just like okay let's stop now like it's it's like it's too far it's going downhill and then you know, I think I noticed when he became unstable and with NDIS, the wheelchair came. And that was the big stepping, like the big milestone of, okay, here we go. Like, he can't walk now, you know? And, but he was still able to go to the toilet on his own. And, you know, so like all these, like I was trying to get NDIS and because we were rural, like we had NDIS at this point, but to get, to physically get the things you need and the support workers, they weren't even in the home. Do you know what mm. I mean? Like it was really hard to get supports and things that I realized that I really needed. Mm. And um, so we did get a wheelchair, but we got a wheelchair from the neighbor. So still not even NDIS. So we've, we've been approved for all this money, but where's the wheelchair? Yeah, okay. They were meant to give us like incontinence aids and things like that there was nothing even right up until his passing we never got incontinence aids like I had to go out and get them so like ramps he had a wheelchair we didn't have ramps Mm. so there was like three months where he was in a wheelchair and there was no ramps he couldn't get in and out of the house like but it kind of hit me I think when I was there by myself with the kids and he'd gone to the toilet because you know he was still quite modest and he would like I would wheel him or he would wheel himself like there's dings all through the house of like him trying to get from the he could get from the wheelchair to the toilet from the wheelchair into the shower but see the sh- our shower was like a little cottage so it was like this little bathtub with like a shower in it so like it wasn't ideal so mm. we were like there was times where we were like NDIS would rip out that bathroom and redo it and make it disabled like proof we don't have time mm. like there's everything takes time and quoting and so like then you get all these different things that you can put on the shower to get him in but like it's just me and then you're trying to protect his like his dignity as well in all of this you know so it's really really hard to watch him when you know that this is not what he wanted mm. so you're watching him deteriorate so there was a time where he went you know went to the toilet and then he just couldn't get off and it's just it's just a moment of like what now Luna's not going to help me she's like eight years old you know like how do I get him off this toilet you know but my mum I think I don't know if she'd been out and she'd come home or I can't remember exactly but I was just like saving grace like 
but my mum's old but then she'd also done nursing so it was kind of helpful in some ways yeah. um two of us get him onto the wheelchair but then all of a sudden you don't realize how heavy someone is to just do that and then get him into the wheelchair into the bed and then we have to get him into the bed so then we're like okay we need bed in a hospital bed in the bedroom all of this is just you know coming at us really fast and trying to navigate it really fast like things were changing almost at this point by the day like he was declining by the day he was stuttering and then they were like you know he needs to eat soft foods you need to feed him hand feed him you know all of these things calling the kids different names and I think the biggest thing in all of this is towards the end which has made a big thing in our life which is what I was telling you earlier is like he became very verbally aggressive towards the end so like he got in the wheelchair but he just became really mean and um really nasty to the kids more than I realized it would would ever impact them you know like we'd be sitting at a dining table and you know Luna might ask him something and he'd be like fuck off get fucked like that's Mm -hmm. how he would speak to the kids and Luna would have been like seven eight at the time and um and then younger you know and she would I just remember her sitting there like crying like bawling like dad why are you talking to me like this and even though like we would tell her this is the tumor this is not dad he loves you in that moment she's a child Mm. and I just remember her screaming like dad don't talk to me like that I love you why don't you love me like you don't love me anymore and I just thought like how is this happening you know like and little did I know the impacts that it would have today like what are we like over a year later and she's still dealing with the guilt of you know, because, like, obviously then she would lash out and she'd be like, I hate you, Dad, I don't understand. But she didn't realise, like, her dad was dying. So all I wanted to do was, like, not scare them, but I wanted to wrap my arms around them and be like, he's dying. Like, we have to be kind and he doesn't mean it. But, you know, he would fight back. He'd be like, oh, fuck off. Go fuck off. Like, you know, she'd be like, Dad, I love you. Oh, fuck off. Oh it's just, like, I don't, like, we just couldn't understand it. And I just remember, too, like, I don't know, like, I... I don't know if I put this in the second one that we recorded, but I just, and it sounds awful coming out of my mouth, but I remember my mum being there and like, we're not even being that close, but he's just started to get really nasty to me. And um, we were at this point getting someone in as like a death doula to help me, support me. And I remember her coming out and witnessing some of his nasty behaviour. And um, even the concerns of they can actually become quite violent. Not only mm. this at this point, it was like mentally like verbally aggressive but they can actually become quite violent Mm. and like there was that part of me of like I need to protect the kids and myself but there was a moment where he was getting quite nasty and from being in the kitchen and it was getting really bad and I just remember saying to mum like he walked off and I just remember looking at mum like bawling on the floor just going like can can you just go like can Mm. a heart attack take him like I can't can't do this anymore like I've got nothing left like I'm still unwell but I'm standing up and I'm trying to take my own supplements and trying to survive my own health issues and the kids are falling apart and he's you know it's just like I feel awful like I feel so awful saying that that I just you know but I just like can a heart attack take him like this is too much and you know this could drag out for months Mm. brain cancer does that like Mm. it takes them well before it takes them like it could be weeks it could be days or it could be a year that he's going to be like this and I just I remember having this conversation with Luna like only a couple of weeks ago when she broke down about the guilt that she has that he's dead and she just wants to tell him that she's sorry and um it shattered me and I just remember sitting there in the car with her just like being honest and I was like you know I understand your guilt 
he loves you it wasn't him he knows you know because like how can she say sorry to someone that's passed like that's all she wants and she just wants to say sorry she's like i just want one of his hugs and i'm like that's all i want is just one of his hugs too but i just remember saying to her you know that i wish that he had passed from a heart attack like i told her that so i'm looking mm. at my nine-year-old that's crying like just going i wish he was dead too like it's i have guilty moments of wishing that he was dead before he was dead but like it was hard you know and it wasn't just her like it was okay to be angry at him it was okay to say the things you said to him because he was being nasty you know but he knows like it wasn't him and you know the real him didn't see that or witness that if that makes sense like it's like we witnessed it live but just Mm. trying to explain to her and trying to like tell her that you know she's not the only one you know it was it was really hard and it was really horrific and you know he loved us and yeah I think we're just trying to heal together does that Mm. make sense like it's um brain cancer is so cruel I think it's just some of the things that people don't talk about you know Okay, guys, we've broken the podcast episode into a couple of episodes as they're very long. So stay tuned for the second episode. And, you know, please reach out to Haley if you feel called to. Send her a message, see how she's doing. I'm sure it will just make her day. Thanks for listening, guys, and enjoy the second part.